if you would please turn to Luke chapter uh, 8. <clears throat> Luke chapter 8. We were there last week and we're going to continue in this. <clears throat> I, I, I need to quit saying this amazing chapter. Is, is there a chapter of scripture that's not amazing? Uh, my bad. Um, what we saw was the beginning of, of a fairly significant uh, turn. You'd have to read all of Luke uh, to pick up on this, which, which uh, hopefully we're doing it. By the way, it's very useful to read a book at a time. Uh, it's, um, then you go back and, and zero in on, on a particular passage of a book. But if you read a book uh, all the way through it at one sitting, uh, that's about the only way you're going to get the whole flow of it. Uh, but at any rate, here in, in chapter 8, what we saw last week was Jesus introducing parables. It's not the first time he's used parables, but it's the first time he's had his disciples instructed in them. Um, <clears throat> and it's, it's sometimes called the parable of the sower, the parable of the soils, the parable of the seed, whatever you wish to call it. The significance of it cannot be overemphasized because he's talking about the sower as the triune God, the seed as the word, and the soils as human hearts. Uh, so when you think about putting those three concepts together, uh, you have the heartbeat, uh, if you will, of Christianity. So uh, I came up with a, an equation <clears throat> uh, that hearing the word is less than or equal to doing the word. We'll unpack that as we go along, but I think that's, I don't know how people teach without blackboards. I, I so want to draw that equation for you so you'll see it rather than just hear me, me utter. But hearing the word is less than or equal to doing the word. Uh, some people hear it and they don't do it. That's the less than. But the idea of scripture is that you'll hear it and then you'll do it. Uh, that's what is going to be emphasized today in two more passages. We're just going to look at verses 16 to 21, six verses that appear to be very innocuous. They're, they're, you could look at them actually as many parables, vignettes out of the life of Jesus. And these are the kinds of passages that, that you normally just fly right through because you think, well, that's not, he's just kind of getting me to the next important part of of, the, uh, of, of his word, but that's not the case. This is actually a follow-up on the parable of the sower that's very, very important. And the key, as we dwelled upon it a little bit last week, verse 15 of chapter 8, uh, those who hear the word, there are five concepts in that verse. Those who hear the word, hold it fast in a good heart, will bear fruit with patience. All five of those ideas are extremely important to a Christian. Uh, first, you've got to hear it. Uh, you know, in Romans, Paul talks about how in the, how in the world they're going to get anywhere if they don't hear it, if they're not exposed to it. We, weeks ago, we were talking about Luther's uh, wonderful definition of faith as cat, K-A-T. Uh, you got to misspell it a little bit. You got to first have knowledge in order to be a Christian. You got to have, somebody's got to tell you about Jesus, got to tell you about the gospel. Uh, then you've got to assent. You've got to agree that what I heard about Jesus is something I want to believe. But then you've got to have trust, which is conviction. Uh, you, in other words, you've got to apply it. You've got to do it. 
Uh, same sort of thing is going on here in these two uh, little bitty uh, passages. Uh, so uh, going back to verse eight, the end of verse eight of this chapter eight, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Uh, again, the hearing of the word, that's, that's what this is, is going to. So verses 16, 17, 18 uh, appear pretty, uh, pretty straightforward. Verse 16, no one after lighting a lamp covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. Um, the question, of course, um, rhetorical, what do you do when you light a light? You, you don't hide it. There's no sense lighting a light if you're going to, to then hide it or stuff it under some uh, envelopment where it cannot uh, be seen. Uh, so, again, that sounds so simple that you, you almost don't even want to think about it. But this, this a, embedded in that thought is something very, very serious. Once you hear the word, once you have seen and heard the light, you then become obligated. Uh, God and, and uh, through the Holy Spirit and so forth is, is, is then uh, looking uh, and investing in the Christian to see what is this person going to do with this word he or she has heard? Are they going to do nothing with it, a.k.a. hide it, obscure it, ignore it, uh, whatever? Uh, well, certainly not. Uh, you put it where others will encounter it. Uh, you put it on a stand, as Luke says in verse 16, so that those who enter may see the light. Now, this is, again an obligation on the Christian. This is talking about uh, when we receive the word and understand the word, we are then obligated. I don't think that's too strong a word. Commanded would, would probably even be a better word uh, to do something with it so that others will benefit from the same light that we have seen. So we're gonna build on that, on that process, that thought. Now verse 17, for nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. That verse has, um, has a lot of layers to it. This is, verse 17, uh, when you read various commentators, you'll see uh, how they go uh, in, a, in a few different directions. And I think all of them are accurate. Um, nothing will remain hidden but what is Jesus talking about? Well, again, he's illuminating the parable of the sower. What does it mean relative to the parable of the sower that nothing remains hidden? The seed, the word, reveals, it discloses, it accuses, it disturbs, it distresses. This, this book, this word is a unique book a unique word. It doesn't go out and come back empty. It doesn't go out and fail on its mission. Um, whenever the word of God is pressed, whenever it's illuminated, the Holy Spirit will see to it that it has teeth, that it has effect. And that is... Um, is a little bit of what this verse is about. It's not the only thing. Uh, eventually, when, when you read verse 17, most people probably think, okay, it's talking about the second coming. It's talking about 
at the end of, of history, when Jesus comes again, at that point we realize that nothing that is hidden will not be made manifest, not is, uh, nor is anything secret that will not be, be made known and come to light. We are familiar with that concept that, that in the second coming, when Jesus comes again and ushers in judgment, uh, then everything will be revealed. I think that is an accurate way of stating it also. That's certainly in this verse, but preeminently this verse, again, is reflecting on the parable of the sower, that wherever the word is sown, it's going to have various responses, various impacts on the heart. And that leads us to verse 18, which could be summarized, frankly, as use it or lose it. Uh, Everything we've said about the word comes to this point. Verse 18, take care then how you hear. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks that he has will be taken away. Again, that, that is a profound uh, and profoundly troubling, perhaps, thought. Uh, when we get lazy with the word, bad things can happen. Uh, you're probably thinking about many aspects of scripture that teach similar things. But um, if you remember from the sower again, the sower goes out and he sows seed and some of the seed falls on hearts that immediately sprout, but then they stop. Uh, they either stop, there's various reasons, there are four different categories in that parable of um, a volitional response to the word and only one of them is the right one. Uh, some of them get choked out because of various things. Sometimes it's the cares of the world. Sometimes it's something that I have put above the word, uh, pursuit of, of wealth, pursuit of, of happiness, pursuit of, of whatever. Uh, those kinds of things can come in and get between me and the word, and that becomes problematic. Daryl Bach, uh, who is a, a good um, commentator on the book of Luke, one of many, uh, says this, I'm quoting from Bach now. He says, either one receives the light by continually responding to it so as to open the way for more spiritual blessing or one faces the exposure of the light later and loses all that one thought he or she had. Uh, significant thought, I think, uh, and again, back to verse, um, the beginning of that verse, the choice is left for our own self-reflection. Jesus says, take care then how you hear. So pressing again, the notion that we've, we've seen uh, previously. Phil Riken, uh, if you've ever struggled with trying to learn a foreign language, uh, Riken said it's a lot like learning a foreign language. And if, if you uh, have done that, you know that you cannot get away from it. Uh, the best way to do it, frankly, is, is just parachute into the country that speaks it and, and go out and be willing to make a fool of yourself and, uh, and fumble and mumble and then have the locals who really speak the language correct you. you. Now, most people don't have that option. Most people go to books or today we've got all of these uh, recorded uh, programs that can, can help a great deal because they, they can, you can hear the language uh, but the point is you cannot rest on learning a foreign language. 
Uh, you've got to constantly be going through vocabulary cards. You've got to be going through, uh, through uh, grammar and all of those kinds of things and trying to understand better the local dialectical influences on languages and, and on and on and on. But the point is, you've got to be doing it. You've got to be at it. You've got to be active. That is the essence of the word. Uh, we, we can't just sit the word on a shelf. Uh, frankly, you cannot just get a dose of it once a week. Uh, all of those things will be... Um, equations for lack of, of growth. And I want to uh, show you that this is not just something that Luke is about here. Uh, the beginning of the book of Proverbs, and because it's the beginning of the book of Proverbs, this is the beginning of, of the uh, application of wisdom. Proverbs being one of the wisdom books of scripture. Here's how the book of Proverbs opens. The Proverbs of Solomon Son of David, King of Israel, verse 2, chapter 1, verse 2 of the book of Proverbs. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. That, he says, is the purpose of the proverbs that Solomon is going to give people. So he's talking about hearing it, let, let them hear it, let them increase in wisdom. If you go to chapter 9 of Proverbs, the opening of chapter 9 says, Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her beasts. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She sent out her young women to call from the highest places in the town. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says, come, eat of my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse, and he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man and he will love you. That's an important concept there. A scoffer, if you go to them and, and try to suggest something, regardless of how kindly and, and nicely you suggest, uh, that usually doesn't go well, but a wise person is going to receive instruction and correction and love you for giving it. Uh, give instruction to a wise man, verse nine, and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man and he will increase in learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. For by me, your days will be multiplied and years will be added to your life. If you are wise, you are wise for yourself. If you scoff, you alone will bear it. In other words, we're each responsible for what we do and how we respond in this world to the word of God. The very last uh, verse of Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse uh, 14. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. So God is looking 
there's an accounting. There's an ongoing accounting of uh, what we're about as as believers. Uh, Now back to the New Testament. Staying here in Luke, chapter 19 of Luke, verse 26. (laughs) Sounds pretty familiar. He says, I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given, but from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. We get into uh, what we think about uh, that particular aspect of God's dealing in a little bit. Uh, Romans chapter 2. Paul is is going to get in on this too. Romans chapter 2 verse 12. For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. Here, we're back to the equation again. It's not just hearing it that that settles everything. It's hearing it and then doing it. Uh, Verse 14, for when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they're a law to themselves, even though they don't have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts while their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them on that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. I'll give you a couple of more, a couple more passages that, that uh, we're probably more familiar with than we wish we were. Hebrews chapter 6. Well, let me start with four. That's, that's an even better one. Hebrews chapter four, verse 12. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. That verse bears witness to what we saw back in Luke 8 about eventually all the secret things are revealed. Well, instant by instant, God God knows everything about each of us, what we're thinking, what we've done, what we're going to do, what we're pondering uh, what excuses we're trying to make to ourselves to to avoid doing this, that, or the other, or to go do this, that, or the other. Uh, all from the word, the word reveals and the word pierces. It is living, active, and sharp, discerns the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Uh, and then one final one up in chapter 10 of Hebrews, uh, verse 26. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, in other words, the word, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and the fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the son of God? and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the spirit of grace. You read that and you think, who could possibly 
Well, there are many, there are many people, many strident unbelievers that are, you will see them just about daily uh, in uh, the evidence of, of, if you watch the news going on in America today, um, people who stridently uh, abuse, openly abuse the word of God. But this is talking about someone who hears and hears and hears again the word of truth and chooses volitionally to turn from it and ignore it. Uh, that is a very, very serious thing to do. In other words, we all become culpable when we sit under good preaching, um, when we open the word. That, that's not just a neutral event. Indeed, there are no neutral events. Now, I want to hasten to the next little vignette here. A very fascinating, verses 19 to 21 uh, Luke chapter 8, 19 to 21, appears, uh, it's fascinating, 19. Then his mother and his brothers came to him, but they couldn't reach him because of the crowd. Verse 20, and he was told, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. Now, if you stop right there and you think, what, what would you think Jesus is going to, to do? How's he going to respond to this? Jesus, your mother and your brothers are right outside the door, but they can't get through it. Because you're, you're talking to the, the crowd is, is so, so large, uh, so energized perhaps, so whatever, that they can't get to you. Verse 21, but he answered them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Wow. <laughs> this is not the first time that we've seen a bit of tension within the family of Jesus. Um. And, and by the way, this is not saying that Jesus ignores his family, that he becomes a, a bad son and, or any of these things. You, you see that poignancy at the cross uh, when he's dealing with his mother so tenderly there, literally hanging from the cross and dying. He is thinking of her welfare and seeing to it. However, remember when he's 12 years old back at the temple. Uh, the family goes to Jerusalem. They, they get inside the, uh, the temple and they're... They've done whatever they, they came to do, and they all leave. And then uh, sort of like home alone, they get, they get halfway home. They say, wait a minute, where's Jesus? And he's not with them anymore. He's a 12-year-old child. So they uh, have to send back in a semi-scolding tone, perhaps. Uh, we've been looking all over for him. He said, well, where'd you think I'd be? I've got to do the work of my father. He says to his father, his earthly father. Um, there are other uh, issues. Uh, John chapter two, at the wedding of Cana, very first uh, miracle that John talks about in his gospel. And you know, they're having a great time at the wedding, but they run out of wine and his mother comes up and um, I'd love to know exactly the tone she used, but she, she thinks it's gonna be a pretty simple thing. Uh, come on, uh, Jesus, We've seen you for a couple of decades now doing incredible things, raising people from the dead. Uh, what uh, we got need, need some more wine here. And he, he it's pretty biting his response, really. Uh, that's not what I'm here for, A. And number two, it's a little early for that. In other words, this isn't when I'm ready to start uh, really revealing who I am. He does it anyway as an obedient son would. Uh, the worst one is in Mark chapter three, uh, verses 13 to 21, where they actually, his, his brothers say, this guy's out of his mind. Uh, that's in scripture. 
Uh, he's Jesus is performing miracles. He's doing a lot of things, and and they don't seem to understand what's going on. So there's a tension here. But what's much more important than how Jesus is interacting with his mother and father and and siblings is the fact of uh, that's that 21. My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word and do the word. Uh, the summary of all of this, uh, our calling in the family of God sometimes has to take precedence over the claims of our earthly family. Now that's a balancing act. And um, well, each incident, each, each event will be unique and needs uh, careful thought. But, um, but it, nonetheless, secondly, the true f- members of God's family are the men, the women, the boys, the girls who do what Jesus says, doers of the word. Um, preschoolers. Preschoolers have a nice little ditty that they love to sing. This little light of mine. I'm going to let it shine. That's an easy way to remember what we've seen. Uh, However, uh, it only gets half of the equation again. The the hearing of the word uh, has to lead to the doing of the word. Access to the word. Now, Therefore, what the parable of the sower is really pushing is access to the word. Now, some people don't have access to the word. Some people are in countries and cultures uh, where the word is is increasingly barred. That's why it's so tragic in in our own culture today that we would bar the word from schools or or from wherever. Uh, However, uh, what this is, is focusing on is when you do have access to the word. Now, how do we have access to the word? Well, most of us probably have multiple copies of scripture at home. Uh, so you have access to the word anytime you want to in our culture, if, if you seek it, uh, to read it, to study it, to meditate on it, whatever. Uh, you can come to various teaching opportunities, whether Sunday school classes or circles or Bible studies or whatever, but preeminently you get the word through its preaching. That's what uh, Romans 10, uh, that, that very famous uh, passage, <clears throat> I'm not going to turn to it, but, but look at Romans 10, 14 to 17. It's very, very famous, very familiar. Uh, and I want to close with because the preaching of the word is so important. Frankly, that's why Reformed Uh, well, reform folks universally have put so much uh, preeminence on training for pastors. Uh, It's not just the person who wakes up one morning and says, I feel like the Spirit's on me, I want to preach. Well, that's that's wonderful. Uh, But when you open your mouth, what exactly are you going to say? Well, we want to be a little more certain than that. So you go through all of the processes of seminaries and, and so forth and so on. Uh, but I want to I want to uh, give you one minute per per six. I, I actually got to go a little faster than that. Uh, I've I've compiled six concepts that will make you a better hearer of the word when you sit under its preaching. Now I'm compiling this from three sources: a sermon by George Whitfield. I've got two articles: one from uh, Phil Reich and one from Gene Crow. And then I've got a little book by Christopher Ash. Now, when I say book, it's only 32 pages long. Uh, so it's dirt cheap. If you want to get it, you can get it on Amazon. Uh, but um, 
I'll put the name of it. Let's see. Where did I put it? Uh, anyway, Christopher Ash. Okay, it's called Listen Up! Exclamation mark. A practical guide to listening to sermons. Christopher Ash. A-S-H. Uh, here are six uh, concepts to think about before you listen to a sermon preached by a, a reputable preacher. Number one, listen with an informed, sincere expectation to hear God speak to you personally. Whenever the word is opened, it speaks to every believer personally. It used to stun me when I would, would conclude a sermon and be at the door of the church and people would file out and they'd say, you don't know what, you transformed my life when you said ABC. And I was sitting there thinking, thank you very much. I don't remember saying ABC. And I never knew if I never said it or whether, again, the Holy Spirit is moving and he's going to have people take from the message what he wants them to take from the message. And sometimes that is a mysterious process to the speaker as well as the hearer. There is a very, the preaching of the word is, is getting us into an arena where God and the spirit are moving in all of the people who are there. And there is no way I would ever try to put boundaries to it. The second Helvetic confession goes this far. It says, when this word of God is now preached in the church by preachers lawfully called, we believe that the very word of God is preached. They're, they're saying that, that when all of those things fit, you're hearing as if Isaiah were to walk into the church and start saying, thus says the Lord. So listen with an informed expectation to hear God speak to you personally. Secondly, listen with a soul that is prepared and bathed in prayer to receive God's word. I, you don't want to just stumble into the church and uh, sit down and with your mind on, on many, many other things, but prepare your soul beforehand, bathe it in prayer because you're about to enter uh, a, a very uh, singular arena. Number three, listen with a mind that is alert. Here's what Richard Baxter had to say about that. Uh, Baxter said, make it your work with diligence to apply the word as you are hearing it. Cast not all upon the minister as those that will go no further that they may carry, be carried by force. You have work to do as well as the preacher and should be all the time as busy as he. You must open your mouths and digest it for another cannot digest it for you. Therefore be all the while at work and abhor an idle heart in hearing. Number four. Listen with a Bible that is open. Remember the Bereans, Acts chapter 17. Number five, listen with a heart that is receptive and responsive. Never understand the hearing of the word preached as simply an academic, that is head-oriented exercise. When we hear God's word, the Holy Spirit will be actively calming, comforting, confronting, reassuring, and disturbing us as he proclaims God's word of grace. And then number six, finally, listen with a life that is ready to spring into action. God's word always demands something of us. It may give us promises to believe, sins to avoid, divine attributes to praise, virtues to cultivate, 
goals to pursue, works to perform, truths to burn into our minds, and much more. Expecting God to lead us and move us, longing to implement the truths he had revealed to us. Imagine what would happen if all of us went into a sermon sitting there having done all of those things. Uh, I apologize for uh, feeding you from the fire hose, uh, but we were a little bit uh, under time today. So hear the word, do the word, and get ready for it. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we do thank you that, that we happen to be in a church that has a duly uh, prepared, godly, earnest, intelligent deliverer of your word who opens his heart and allows your spirit to lead him in the study of these passages so he might deliver it in its most um, clear and demanding manner. Father, help us to do our part as well, to be ready for this, to have, have done some things, to be prepared to hear this word expounded and to understand that your spirit is moving in us, waiting for us, pushing us, perhaps even distressing us with this word of truth. Help us, Father, not just to love hearing the word preached, but then to realize now we seek what it is you want us to do with what we have heard. We do pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.